Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning once again. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our series called The New You, where we're studying the book of Ephesians, and we're learning what it means to be in Christ and how we should act and how we should behave and what we do now that we know Jesus Christ. Remember, the first couple of chapters of Ephesians handled the why, why we do what we're supposed to do, the theology behind it, and then chapter 4 is the practical now. Here's what it looks like. And remember, this is a letter written that was circulated to people who didn't know Christ, or excuse me, didn't grow up Christian. They didn't grow up in Jewish homes, and so they didn't have this common background. So Paul has to bring it together and say, hey, here's what it looks like now that you're in Christ. Here's how you come together. And I'm really excited to start this next section off with you. Um, it could be, it, it's called a household section, which is not uncommon for the first century where Paul just explains how the family unit should operate. The next couple of weeks we could even call Family Matters. Y'all remember that show? Family Matters used to come on TGIF, yeah. And the one thing I bet, you're like, I'm not too sure if I remember that. Well, you might remember this guy. Remember this guy? Yeah, you remember Steve Urkel? Remember how he would just mess things up and then he would mess it up? His famous line was what? Yeah, only a couple of you knew. It's did I do that, you remember? It was so famous for messing things up, he'd always say, did I do that? Now, here's my point. I think many well-intentioned people have really messed up or Steve Urkel, these passages, were about to read. Because the famous line out of all of this section is one we're going to get to, but it's this verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I think all different groups have come together and really messed things up. First, I'll call the ones who have authority issues, okay? These are people who want to give this passage to mean that men or husbands have blanket authority over their wife which means women or wives have to stay in an abusive relationship no matter what the men are doing. You say, well, Brian, no one's ever said that. Yes, I promise you, they, they have. They say, well, no, they're supposed to submit. No matter what happens, a, a wife should stay there. And I say, no, that's not what this is saying. And then you have the other side, which is a women's right, we'll call them, who, who look at this, kind of interpret it the same way as the authority issues and say, can you believe this? Can you believe women are called to be second-class citizens? Can you believe this is what the Bible says? And then you have others who say, well, I, I want to, but it doesn't seem practical. Right? You people who, who are trying to live this out but say, I don't, I don't know this whole wives submit. I mean, as a husband, I could tell you this. If me and my wife were in a fight and I said, woman, the Bible says you must submit because I am your husband, she would say, you are about to meet the one who made you, right? She, that's what she would say. It just wouldn't work. It's like, well, I know this is what it says, but it doesn't seem practical. And if it's in the Bible, surely it's supposed to be practical and applicable. I mean, surely it should be. And then some just wish it wasn't there at all. I would say, well, 
I know what the Bible says, and, and I know from, from, from a, a man's standpoint, they say, well, I just don't feel adequate for this. I mean, if I'm supposed to be the head and my wife's supposed to submit, I mean, does that mean I have to be a theologian? Does that mean I have to know everything about the Bible? Does that mean I have to teach Sunday school? I mean, if that's what that means, is that what it then to it, like, man, I wish the Bible just didn't say that so we could just keep going. I mean, my wife was raised in the church. I wasn't. This doesn't seem fair. There's a lot at stake here because the family unit is so important and it's crumbling all around us. But God has some good say, good stuff to say about it. And here's what I think is going on. In every culture, there's a background music playing. And the culture's not going to explain to you what's going on or how things are big issues and all stuff like that because it's a different culture. And they, can't, they don't know what culture you're in, so when they say stuff, if we don't know what's going on behind, it just doesn't seem right. And today, we have background music playing, and we have political agendas playing, and we have all sorts of other things that's playing in the background, and so we read all of that back into something where these people were never saying anything like that. It's kind of like this. Here, here's two videos. I switched the background music around. And, but this combined, these videos have been viewed over 20 million times. So they're pretty popular. But this is what I think is going on. Watch. That's still called dancing. doesn't seem quite right, does it? It's still called dancing, it just doesn't quite fit, does it? But watch what happens in, in just a second when we put the correct background musics together. Watch the beauty of the dance unfold. Makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? So while you may not particularly like a certain style of dance, we can all appreciate that they're both called dancing and they're both fitting for their background music. And what we have here is this idea of marriage. And if we would understand the first century's background, we would see that this isn't what many people think it is. We would see this beautiful dance God created called marriage. And it can be so beautiful and so free. It will look different, but nevertheless, it's a gift that God has given to us. You see, the background music of the first century is pretty simple. The attitude towards women in the first century were awful. I mean, just about everywhere. And now I'm talking about wives, I'm talking about women. Women had no rights. They were not only seen as inferior, they were seen as impure. Women were considered dangerous for men who wanted to maintain their purity. It's the woman's fault, right? One ancient writer says, Woman, Women were the worst plague Zeus made. Another said the two best days in a woman's life are when someone marries her and when he carries her dead body to the grave. Yeah, that's the background music. You need to feel this to understand what the Bible's saying. Snodgrass says this. He says, in few places like Sparta and Egypt, women were given greater freedom and responsibility. In most places, however, if 
They were allowed to live at birth. Women were minimally educated, could not be witnesses in a court of law, could not adopt children or make a contract, could not own property or inherit, or inherit, and were viewed, as both Aristotle and Josephus said, in all respects to be inferior to a man. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, the source of sin and continual temptation. Even if a woman was considered uh, reputable in the first century, or res- uh, yeah, respectable, most of the time they spent in isolation from everybody else, only eating meals with their husbands, and conversations were kept to a minimum with outsiders. They lived in a patriarchal society. If you're just learning this, you can look it up, where men were in charge and had blanket authority. I mean, Women married around 15 or 16 years old, their spouse was picked out for them, and then she would be expected to adopt the religion of her husband. So with all that in mind, that's the background. Look at this, Ephesians 5, 21. It says this. Submit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, depending on your Bible translation... This verse may be grouped with the ones we looked at yesterday, verses 15 through 20, so it may say 15 through 21, or it might start a new section like the NIV does, where it's 21 through 33. And here's what's going on. The, the translators debate, where do I put this? They, they go together, but they have sections and headings and verses, so they're trying to figure out how to break it all up. But this verse in particular, Ephesians 5:21, is what scholars call a bridge verse. It brings together last week's conversation with what we will talk about this week. You see, submit to one another. This idea of submitting to one another is dependent upon the imperative to be filled with the Spirit we saw in verse 18. It's just how the language works. That's what it's dependent on. So when Paul said to be filled with the Spirit, where he said to speak to one another in psalms, to uh, to sing and make music, to always give thanks... Well, then he says to submit to one another out of Christ. It's dependent upon that. There's no disagreeing about that. It just is. Which means whatever submission means, if we were all to give thanks, if we are all to be... Uh, make music, if we are all to speak together with psalms and hymns, if we are all to do that, guess what we are also all called to do? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because it goes together, that means we can all do it. So whatever it means, it means it's something that we can all do. In fact, it's something that we're all commanded to do. You see, submit means to place yourself under someone or to put yourself under their influence. Notice it doesn't say make someone submit as if the other person is supposed to force you. It says that you, as a Christian, should submit. So it's to us to be in the submissive posture. You see, this is the same verse that Paul uses when speaking of Christ's subordination to God. So it's not appealing to, this is important, it's not appealing to this authority issue, but something different. You see, especially today, authority carries the idea of you can force somebody to comply, meaning your boss at work has the authority that if you don't listen, what can they do? fire you, right? The police officer or the judge or our courts, if you don't obey the law, they have the authority to enforce it by dishing out a punishment. 
But rather here, the idea is to humble. I mean, it's still submit. There's no getting around it. I'm not trying to take the word out. But it's this posture, this willing to submit and put yourself, place yourself under another person. Which is in line with everything else Jesus teaches, like not lording over each other and being a servant leader. So, so Paul says believers who are filled with the Spirit or want to be continually filled with the Spirit. We'll talk about that on Wednesday if you want to get into that a little bit more. Want to be continually filled with the Spirit. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now why? Why would Paul say that? Why would he tell people to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ? Because humanity as a whole, we all have an authority issue. Isn't it true we all want to know who's in charge? It doesn't matter where you're at, your brothers, your sisters, your spouse, your job. Everybody wants to know who's in charge. We all have this authority thing. Now, I'm the honest one, and I've been telling you for a long time, I have authority problems, right? Y'all have heard me say that? But did you know you do too? Because the source of all sin is what? An authority issue. We don't want to do what God tells us to do. We all are, so we want to know who's in charge. And the great thing for us, if you didn't know this, I'm so glad you're here. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says this, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Not men, not husbands, not the... Me, Jesus says, I am in charge of everything. So we don't have to worry about who's in charge anymore because Jesus is. And listen, I can tell you that can be so freeing and it can release you from always wanting to get caught up in this when you just realize that he really is the God who defeated death and all authority in the entire cosmos has been given to him. Now, does that mean there are no leaders? Well, of course that's not what that means. Does it mean... What it does mean is that you and I, we as Christians, can get over the whole authoritative, dictator-type leadership. And when we get the actual instructions, we realize the instructions are from who? Well, God. So I don't have to worry about what authority you have because Christ, who has all authority, has already told me how to behave. So now it's not about your authority, it's about his authority. And if we all submit to his authority, guess what can happen? right. He's in charge. He's revealed his word. That's why I submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Better translated, we don't like it today, fear of Christ. We submit because of who he is, not because of who you are or who I am. We submit because of who he is. So now we don't submit and we don't follow because someone deserves it or because they've earned it, but because Jesus Christ is who Jesus Christ says he is. So because he has all authority and he's told me to do this, I follow his lead and obey him because he's in charge. Isn't that freeing? It can be. Jesus is our motivation for submission. That's, why, that's how we glorify God, by taking this posture. And you see, in the first century, this idea would have been mind-blowing. You see, it would have been unheard of because submission is for the weaker. Submission is for the poor. Submission is for the ones lower in society. But now that Christ is in charge, we are all called to put ourselves under those, to, to be submissive and obey him and his word. Paul knows this statement's going to be mind-blowing. 
So he's not done. He continues. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now, it's the fun verse, right? Let's unpack it. We're going to be here for a minute. Here's the thing. There is no verb in verse 22. It literally reads, wives own husband to the Lord, which I think is probably more accurate, isn't it? Wives own the husband. No one else found that funny but me. Okay, it's all right. I think it's funny. But there's no verb. And it doesn't make any sense in English, but it does in Greek. You see, verse 22 is dependent upon the verb in verse 21. So however you split it up, there's no getting around that they go together because the sentence is dependent upon the one directly above it. Meaning, you can't have verse 22 without submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That idea of submit is carried on. It's not actually there. So, first up, they go together. We should all be submissive, and then wives are specifically told to submit to their husbands. And he says why, but first up, who's this directed towards? It says it right there, wives. Yes? So husbands, this is not your memory verse. Yours is the next section. But notice, it doesn't say wives, make your wife submit. Does it? No, it's not even talking to you. It's talking to the wives to submit yourselves to your husband. Now, if we put this in context, you're like, well, Brian, that's not right. Just, just listen. This is 2,000 years ago. This is such a big deal because it just makes sense. Paul has been going around talking about the freedom in Christ. In Galatians, he says that these barriers have been broken. He says there's no longer Jews, there's no longer Gentiles, there's no longer male, there's no longer female, there's no longer slave. He says in Christ we're all one. This is a bold statement, but this is very important. While we can all equally come before God, Paul never instructs us to use our freedom as a disruption. He never calls us to use your freedom to blow things up. Our freedom in Christ never reverses the creative order. It just empowers us to live by it. So back then, as we already talked about, women in general, not wives, women, had no rights. None. So in the first century, nobody would have blinked an eye at this. Wives submitting, nothing new. Husbands dead, nothing new. This was normal. We can look at it today and be aggravated. Paul's like, this is, just, this is already how it is. Like, we already know that. So we're like, well, no, Paul's pointing out women. He's like, no, it, this was already there. But he is going to slam the men in a moment. And you're like, no, it's not really. Oh, yes, he is. But this was nothing new. Husbands were in charge. Read the book of Ruth if you want to see how dependent a woman was on a man back then. And so here's the idea. Men wouldn't have clung to this verse like, woman, next time I want a turkey sandwich, I'm going to... No, they would have already been... He could have already done anything. He already had authority in that society. He could have done what he wanted. But what's interesting is Paul says, wives, continue to do it. Even though you're free in Christ, even though there's something different happening, continually to do that, which means you have a choice, but choose to willingly submit to your husband. Not because he's awesome, not because he has it all together, 
but out of reverence for Christ. And please notice it doesn't say obey. That's a different verb that he uses for children and, um, and parents. You're like, well, Brian, that's not fair. Wives are supposed to submit. Did you not miss the last verse where we're all supposed to what? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which is to whom? Everybody. So don't be offended about something he's just repeated himself. We're all supposed to have this submissive posture. So here he's just repeating, submit yourself. Now, Paul's appeal in this marriage relationship is for husbands because of this headship issue. As Christ is the head of the 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 uh, Excuse me, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the wife. And listen, that idea of head is extremely and highly debated. If you want to talk more about that, we don't have time today. You can come on Wednesday night and we will flesh it out. But whatever the metaphor head means, it is clearly pointing to the idea of the husbands being the leader in their homes. And regardless of exactly what the metaphor, because it's a metaphor, head means, the results are the same. Submit, willingly submit yourself to your husbands. But for clarity, here are my qualifiers. For clarity, Paul is not giving husbands some authority blanket as if he can abuse her and do what he wants to her, and she just has to take it. It's not saying wives have to stay in an abusive relationship. Please don't ever, ever hear me say something like that. I've been in an environment like that. I promise you, I'm not saying. Clearly, he isn't telling the husbands that they are to lord over their wives and to be a dictator-type leader. How do we know that? Because when Paul compares the husband and wife relationship to Christ being the head of the church, he doesn't appeal to Christ being the Lord, though he is. He doesn't appeal to the fact that Christ is the king, though he is. He appeals to the fact that he is the what? Savior. Ah, willing to die. Giving up his life. He's pointing to this loving leader. And nor, last qualifier, nor does Paul say women must submit to men, nor does it say all wives have to submit to all husbands that exist. This is a particularly focused household thing. And so with all of those qualifiers, husband, you are called to lead. And in order for them to do what God has asked them to do, wives, submit yourself. In other words, allow your husband to do what God has asked him to do. In order for you to allow him to do what God has to do, you have to submit yourself to allow him to do that. Now, again, in this culture, this is nothing new. But what is? Look at this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, you may not catch this, and you may not think this is a big deal, but, oh, I promise you it is. Notice it doesn't say, husbands, rule your wife, because that is is what they would have expected it to say because that's how they treated their wives back then. That would have been normal, but that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say rule them. He says to love them. Paul, I don't even know what that means. I mean, she's just supposed to make me a turkey sandwich. I want a turkey sandwich, Paul. What does that mean? Oh, love like Christ loved the church. Yeah, no, but he, hold on. He died. Paul's like, yeah. This is different, just in case you're missing it, man, because Paul knows we're a little hard-headed. So he continues. And he gave himself up for her to make her holy, 
cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, this can get a little confusing because at first it can look, hold on, is Paul telling men they're supposed to do what Jesus did to make her holy, to cleanse her with the word, to remove stains? Like, is that, but, but no, you and I, husbands, you can't do what Jesus has done. Jesus has already done that. We're not supposed to be the Savior. Paul's already clearly said that Jesus was the Savior. Hear what's happening. He's telling husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church, who was willing to put her interest first, who was willing to die for her. And then anytime Paul mentions Jesus, what happens? Oh, he just starts writing. Oh, and this and this. He just gets caught up in you. Oh, and this. So he's just kind of explaining it out. But what we can see from Paul about what he means for a husband to love his wife and where his heart is, where he points to Jesus came to save and redeem. Jesus has allowed you and I to be all that we've been created to be. Jesus has renewed us and refreshed us. So husbands, you are to lead to help your wife to become all that she has been created to be in Christ Jesus. You are to help her. Not hinder her in the first century. It's like, uh-uh, hold on, Paul, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to that submit thing. Let's, clear, let's, let's work. He's like, no. Love her in a different way. And he's not done. He says in Ephesians 5, 28, he says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It's like, hold on. Paul, this is getting too serious. He's like, I'm not done. Keep listening. Shh. He says, he who loves his wife, loves, excuse me, he who loves his wife loves himself. That mean? I know. After all, no one hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are all members of his body. Listen, he's saying, as you take care of your body, you should take care, take care of your wife. You don't love yourself if you're not taking care of your wife. Just like, just like you feed your bodies, just like you take care of your bodies when you're hungry, you take care of your body when you're hurt. Right? Husbands, I'm just talking to you for a second. Husbands, do you feed yourself or find food when you're hungry? Yes. Do you take care of your body or know you at least should take care of your body when you're hurt? Yeah, in other words, you're sensitive to your body's needs. Yeah, you knew where I was going with that. We don't like that. I know, I didn't either. You see, my mission for the longest time, I thought being, listen, I'm just talking to husbands now. Forgive me, okay? For the longest time, I thought, I didn't know what sensitive meant. I thought it was being a sissy. Listen, I'm just being honest. Because men don't use it as a positive thing. If another man says, oh, you're being sensitive, do they mean they're great? No, they don't ever mean it in a positive manner. It's a derogatory thing. And I thought if I was sensitive, that means I had to be girly. I had to like shopping. I had to cry during movies. And I don't want to cry during movies. I mean, I don't want to do that kind of thing. In fact, I thought if I was sensitive as a man, that meant I couldn't be a man. You say, Brian, that's silly. I know. But I'm just telling you what I thought. And maybe you've thought that. Or maybe you know someone who's thought that. But that's not what being sensitive means. Being sensitive means you're just aware of how other people are feeling. You're just aware. Like, oh, I'm aware of my wife. Before she starts yelling at me, I'm aware of my wife's needs. Just like you're aware and you're sensitive to your own needs, Paul says as a husband, you should be aware and sensitive to your wife's needs. 
He's calling husbands in the first century, please. You're like, that's not a big deal. Marriage counselor told me to do that. In fact, I was just here two, for two days at the marriage thing. Brian, we heard all about that. I know. But this was 2,000 years ago. A woman had and wives had no rights. And he's telling the husbands who could tell them to do anything. He said, no, 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 no. You love them and you be sensitive to what they need telling you, if we would get this, this is a big deal. Paul is saying, no, no, he's elevating women like no one else in his time ever did. Fact check me. He's elevating them. Just like it's in your best interest to take care of your body, Paul says it's in your best interest to take care of your wife. You should pay attention to how they feel. In a culture where no one else did, Paul's saying it's different now. For an example, husbands, if your wife thinks you're not spending enough time at home, don't go on the other fishing trip with your buddies, right? Don't just go hang out in the barn. Right? Pay attention. Yeah, sorry about that, Chuck. I definitely just called you out. Might as well just completely do it, right? I'm sorry about that, but I saw that. Like I did, I called you out. I'm sorry. You're welcome, okay? You're welcome. I did that for you. You should never be the pastor's friends. Things just come out sometimes. But as a husband, all joking aside, as a husband, we should be sensitive to our wives' needs and pay attention. But ladies, please, and wives, notice Paul never commands men to express their feelings. He just knew that was going too far. They should just listen to yours. So this is practical, isn't it? They should be sensitive to your needs. So here it is. Submit to each other. Here's what it looks like. Wives continue doing it. God created, he did this creative order, it's just there. But then husbands, love and be sensitive. And then he says in verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. See, throughout the passage, Christ, I mean, Paul has been comparing the relationship of husband and wife to Christ and the church, and he uses this to illustrate the relationship, and he's like, yeah, just like husbands and wives, their relationship illustrates Christ and the church and their relationship. You're like, Brian, what does that mean? I don't know. Paul says it's a mystery. I get a pass on that one. I don't know, but he says it's an example of it. But see, Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24, the standard Old Testament text about marriage. His point that husband and wife, when they come together, become one. And that the church and Christ are a similar relationship. Because we've been incorporated in Christ because of what he has done. And I don't know how it all works, but I'm telling you, this verse right here can save marriages. This is so practical. Maybe not you, but I've seen so many marriages ruined and so much tension because somebody couldn't break away from their mom or their dad. And this isn't a call to ignore our parents. Or it's not saying that as they get older, we don't respect them and take care of them. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is there's nothing worse, at least this is, this is my, well, here's application. There's nothing worse than an overbearing mother-in-law and father-in-law who's trying to control your relationship and you ignore your spouse. You detach. They don't have a place in your marriage. Marriage is between you and your spouse and the Lord. Now, where families should, you know, try to be civil and holidays will forever be a burden for all of us. Remember, you come together, you break away from your mom and your dad. And then you and your wife, you come together and you start something new in Christ. And here's the deal, wouldn't be in the Bible if it wasn't an issue. And Paul finishes up with this. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. 
then the wife must respect her husband. And you would know all about that if you attended our two-day marriage conference this past weekend. But what we learned is that husband's greatest need is respect. The wife's greatest need is love. And if you want to know more about how to do that, sign up for the next marriage conference, video conference that we do. But Paul paints a beautiful picture here of the Christian marriage. The passage has nothing to do with authority, but everything to do with submission because of who Jesus Christ is. Bottom line, and I got this from Andy Stanley, I promise I can't say it any better way. I've tried it. I've used, even used the thesaurus to try to figure out how to rearrange it, and I just can't. Christian marriage is a submission competition. Christian marriage is a submission competition. And I, this is the ideal, and I know many of our relationships are very far from this, but this is what it looks like when two Christians are coming together under the authority of whom? Yeah, of Christ, under his authority and following out what he's asked us to do. And we've all experienced different situations. We've all experienced when something's gone too far, when it's been too out of control. And listen, I promise you, I understand. So don't hear that. But this is the beautiful picture, this thing that God has given us, this family unit. And it's not minimizing or belittling women. He is elevating them, and I promise you can fact check me. He is elevating wives in a time that nobody else was. Christians were the ones who did this. He said, no, there's something else. And unfortunately, so many families are far from this, but I promise you, if we submit ourselves to biblical authority, it will work out so much better. I just encourage you, don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till you look back and go, wow, I just haven't been following. I mean, this has been in here for 2,000 years. We can get in line with it today. And so husbands, lead in loving. That's your responsibility, that's your job. You are to lead and Paul said, you are the head of the wife as Christ is the church, so you have a responsibility to lead your families. Which means, husbands, you should be worth following. That's a gut check, isn't it? Yes, she is called to submit, but that's for her. You were called to lead, and you lead by example. And I don't know about you and your situation, but I can promise you, I've never had a problem following a good leader. Have you? Oh, but a bad one? Whew. I have a real hard time with that. So husbands, are you leading well? And the thing is with the family unit is you can't trick them. They see you all the time. And so you, your characters are going to come out. And so this is a call for us to be who we're supposed to be in Christ, to lead well. And luckily for you and I, Jesus has set a great example that we can start with and we can follow. Now, husbands, what this doesn't mean, yes, you are called to lead, but it doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. It doesn't mean you have to be a Bible scholar. These are certain giftings that the Holy Spirit empower people with. And we confuse the idea of leading with teaching and can start to feel terrible and horrible because we didn't grow up in the same environment that our wives do. Don't be. Your wife may be a much better teacher than you. That's okay. You can still lead. Because studies show, study after study shows the tremendous amount of influence a husband or a father has over the family unit. Studies show that a father will influence their family significantly more 
than a wife will, than a mother will. So husbands, what you do matters. Step up. Man up, if you will. And lead. And wives, be submissive to your husband. And I'm not giving you any personal examples because I don't have any. But this doesn't say to submit to all men, nor does it say you're less in, or that you're inferior, nor does it put you as some second-class citizen. Not even close, and I promise you the people who try to say that's what the Bible says have no idea what they're talking about. I promise. It elevates them. It says, well, no, no, women are extremely important. But he calls in the family for you as a wife to allow your husband to lead because that's what he's responsible for. And if he's responsible to do it, and he's going to be accountable to God for it, then allow him to do it. That's the call. Because bottom line, a Christian marriage is a submission competition where the husband and wife are looking out how they can serve each other, looking out for the interest of the other person, Imagine where a marriage was marked where, where I stopped worrying about me and I started worrying about you as my spouse. Imagine a marriage where both spouses came home every day and said, what can I do for you today? In fact, that is your homework. What if you did that every single day? You came home and said, how can I help you? Or what can I do for you to do today? And you're like, Brian, there is no way I'm asking that. Zero chance. I get it. I am deathly afraid. My wife's going to be like, oh, what can you do? Three kids, I'm gone. I don't want that. But yet, what if I came home and made the mark and said, look, I want to look out for you. What do you need? And what if she said, oh, here's, here's what I got going in here. What do you need? That's my husband. What can I do for you? Try one thing, right? Don't make a list, please. This is not a honey to do. Like, look, I already had it prepared. Brian said it yesterday. I was wondering when you're going to try it. Here you go. No, just try to be vulnerable. Like, here's really my deepest need. I need to sit down and talk. Husbands, don't roll your eyes. Right? And when, she, and she, when, when he says whatever, don't roll your eyes. What if we just started there? Imagine if Christian marriages were marked by not how we divorce like everybody else, but by how something is different because we stop being selfish and start worrying about the other person in the room like the Bible asks us to do. And the last bit about authority, because I have a little bit of an issue, we'll talk about it on Wednesday. If you were worried about authority in your marriage, you have deeper problems that need to be settled. You need to work that out. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to whom? Christ. He is the one who will judge and actually has the power to do something with that then. He is in charge. Husband and wives, we come together into one flesh under Jesus Christ. So we serve each other and we love each other. And I promise you this, tell me, email me if I'm wrong. I've never heard one marriage ever in a divorce because they said my spouse wouldn't stop serving and loving me. I just got so tired of it. They always cared about my needs and my interests. You ever heard that? But that's exactly what the Bible, written 2,000 years ago, tells us to do. This book is pretty awesome. You should read it. I'm telling you, it's pretty good. 
Check it out for yourself. So let's try. What can I do for you today? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your wisdom and, and just how you set up the family unit and how we are to comply with that. And Father, just please help us understand that your word is so freeing and so refreshing and so renewing. There's been so many people who've distorted what was said 2,000 years ago to fit their political agenda or to fit their personal agenda. And Father, just forgive them of that, but more, release us from that teaching. Because that's not what you say, nor that's what you've ever intended. All people matter to you because we've all been made in your image. You have been so crystal clear about that. So Father, help us as a church put this on display. Help us put ourselves under your authority and your will for our marriage, our marriages, and our households. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.